How will the new 10-day disabled list affect us as fantasy players? We'll talk about that and more in our latest Talk with Todd. It's Todd Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April the 4th. It's show number 12 of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Tuesday tout show for you, our last of the year before we go back to weekly Friday shows. We'll talk with Todd Zola from MastersBall.com, ESPN, and Rotowire about the new 10-day disabled list, pitcher rankings, precision in player valuation, roster management in the early season, his studs and duds, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our Playing Time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at playing time situations in the St. Louis infield. And in Frequent Flyers, Alex Becky looks at Detroit outfielder Jacoby Jones and Detroit starting pitcher Matt Boyd. It's another big Tuesday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The regular season is underway. You know what that means. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday Tout Edition, our feature guest interview, and it's my pleasure to have another talk with Todd. It's Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire. Todd, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Really good to be back with you, Patrick. Really good to be home. I guess you've had a few weeks away between drafting and drafting and uh, drafting, and you're just back from Las Vegas. How'd your NFBC drafts go? Uh, you know, uh, I was in a real tough main event league. I have a little bit of buyer's remorse on one player and sort of kicking myself for not going with my gut on another. Um, I took in Edward Encarnacion when I had him ranked higher than Freddie Freeman, but I just, I don't have this feeling about Freeman this year. I, of course, Encarnacion and the Parrot rounded the bases yesterday, so that helped me a little bit. And I think I jumped, I jumped J.D. Martinez earlier than some of the other drafts, going around the draft board, seeing what round he was taken in. Although the news today is that the boot's being removed, and we should be finding out soon when uh when martin if they may say set a timetable so you know the it's not so much getting him you know could i have waited a couple more rounds who knows with the injured guy i felt at the time i could take i, I wanted to take them the injury discount was built in so we'll see but uh made a mistake in the al only that i'm still regretting you know the way you, you were a teacher too you get 99 uh performance reviews that say you're a great teacher that one that says you're not so great a teacher and that's the one you remember right um you know, I you know all these bids, all these players I chose, and I'm just dwelling on making the big mistake of in the end game. I wanted both Chris Davinsky and man, I I can't even think of the uh, Brandon Geyer. I was gonna say I can't think of the hitter that tells you how good he was. And I had the hammer, and I had to throw you know whichever I threw out for two, I was gonna get. Then I had a hope that the other one made it back to me, and I wanted Davinsky more than 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 Geyer, or I needed Davinsky more than Geyer, but for whatever reason, I threw Geyer out first, and sure enough, someone else threw Davinsky out for a dollar in between our, in between, before my next turn, and, well, I do have a Brandon Geyer on my team, I no longer, or do, I don't have Davinsky, and I guess if, I guess if, if you're building a planner on Chris Davinsky, you probably need a better plan anyway, but the, ba- the way my pitching fleshed out, I really could have used him, so that's what I've been, dwelled on the plane ride in a little bit, but games have started we'll see what happens 
I also had Chris Davinsky on my list for endgame pitchers, and I think he actually went for 4 or $5 in the uh, Tout Wars American League. I'm not entirely sure, but he wasn't a $1 player. I know that. Uh, a lot of guys were interested in Davinsky, so uh, the fact that he lasted as long as he did is uh, <clears throat> at least a little <clears throat> So the fact that he lasted as long as he did might even be a little bit surprising. Uh, Todd, uh, the other day on Twitter, you tweeted that you were, and I'm quoting, weirded out when you see reference <laughs> in the transaction feeds to 10-day disabled list. Weirdness aside, Todd, what effects do you think this new 10-day DL is going to have on Major League Baseball and on managing our fantasy rosters? Yeah, I know. There's been a lot of, you know, we got to talk about something in the offseason. There's been a lot of discussion and you know wondering about that i thought about it and i don't know maybe i've come to the conclusion well i don't know if it's a conclusion i've come to the uh decision that i don't know that it's going to be that big of a deal because i think what some people are forgetting is while there may be more people put on the list they're going to be coming off the list pretty quickly too some of these guys so i don't know how much of a difference is going to be so I'm kind of taking a wait-and-see approach. I, I could be wrong. Maybe I should have thought deeper, and, and, and maybe there will be more people on the list. But I think there's some non-consideration to the back end of it, where you know the, some of these people are going to be on for exactly the 10 days, or maybe they delay it two days because of the, the retro, and they're only on for a week. So I don't know that it's going to be a big of a... I think some people want to make it a big deal because we've got to write about something, but I know, or we want to sound like we're smart and figure something out. But I don't know. I, I don't see a ton of uh, – I think the teams are going to be putting players on it. I don't know that's going to affect fantasy that much. Yeah, my first thought was uh, I didn't think it was going to affect fantasy that much either. And, I, and then I read something, I think, at Fangraphs, or somebody did a, a study going back several years and found out that with the old 15-day list, most pitchers especially don't get off it that fast anyway so it's you put them on 10 15 it's still 20 or 25 before you actually see them back or even longer and then the one thing i heard that i think might be interesting is that with a 10-day dl if you have a pitcher on a major league team and his club thinks he needs just to take a start off that they might be able to, to squeeze him onto the disabled list say he's got a sore arm or dead arm or whatever you know term you want to use and in fantasy if he goes on this 10-day dl you were going to miss the start either way but now at least maybe you can uh, stream a, a guy in uh, for him or reach into the free agent pool and try to get a pitcher to take a few innings anyways to replace the guy that you lost right this is the t sort of guy i was referring to that you know, he, he's going to go on the list, but sure, he's, he's going to come off. And depending upon the timing when that start was, you you know, you may, it may not even impact your route. You may have been able to keep him on reserve anyway, or it just depending on the timing of it all. But sure, that that is something to keep in mind. If your league has a separate reserve and DL, you may want to have an extra starting pitcher at the ready because you may get to use him more than in previous seasons you made that that or even a or even a really you know even a, even a chris davinsky reliever in a mixed league right he, sure. he 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 could he could do as well in one week as someone like jared weaver can he could get the four or five innings and probably with more people than weaver will and may even get a win so i think you depending on how you construct your reserve list yeah i do think you want to have if you already have some pitchers on it good but if you don't you, you may want to make sure you have that pretty solid pitcher to put in for when the uh the, the opportunity avails with this short 10-day DL. 
Yeah, and also uh, every league seems to have a different kind of set of rules. I've lumped them into kind of three categories, Todd. You have teams that have a separate reserve in DL, like Tout Wars and most of the leagues I've ever played in. Then you have a league that has reserve lists, but the DL's part of it. And uh, then you have leagues that where there's fixed numbers of DL slots and you can only have so many guys in the DL. And when you get a third or fourth guy and, and you're only allowed two or a fourth guy when you have three, then you have to start making decisions about either leaving them on the active roster or dropping somebody altogether. And I think that's going to have an effect. I know uh, some experts, including Ryan Bloomfield of BaseballHQ.com and Baseball HQ Radio, suggested that leagues with fixed numbers of DL slots should think about increasing that number because it's likely that we're going to see more uh, players, especially pitchers, going on the DL, and you really don't want a rule change like this affecting whether fantasy teams have to literally drop guys entirely from their rosters. Here's the deal with that is, you know, having seen what's out there in terms of leagues, I mean, the NFBC uses the reserve and DL on the one. The one that Ryan's talking about are like the ESPN and the Yahoo leagues where there's fixed a number of DL spots. And quite frankly, and, and it, while it sounds great on paper, and Ryan's a smart guy, uh, and he probably plays in some of the deeper leagues. I think the majority of leagues of that nature, uh, they're they're fairly shallow, 10 and 12 team mixed. And I don't know that it will affect things as much. I don't know how many times that we're going to want to put it. You know, is is maybe Max Scherzer or, or something like that, or Rich Hill with the with the blister. How many times is it going to be uh, actually a, a really influential pitcher that you really have to make a decision on? You know, I don't want to drop the guy. Therefore, I may have to drop a lesser guy. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the numbers and the size of the league. But um, I don't know if I would do it this year, but it might be something that to definitely keep in, keep in mind for next year. But I, I think those sort of leagues that have the fixed number of DLs, I think they're probably in the minority, at least in the sort of circles that, that we play in with the deeper deeper roster pools. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's a, that big of a deal because I don't, frankly, I don't know anybody who plays in a league with fixed numbers of DL slots, so it really shouldn't matter. And as you say, if it's a really super uh, shallow uh, draft where there's plentiful replacements in the in the uh, free agent pool, then it really doesn't matter unless, as you say, if you're losing your, you know, Miguel Cabrera or your Max Scherzer, of course, you do want to be able to hang on to him a little while longer. Uh, Todd, you're the new author of RotoWire's weekly pitcher rankings. Uh, how will this work? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of excited about this because I've, I've written two, you know, I think anybody that's been in the business of at one point or another written a two-start column, but it wasn't actually ranking them. And I've always... You know the whole thing about, and, and we do we, we we struggle in our gameplay. When do you start that two start the lesser two start pitcher over the you know good but not great one start pitcher? You know what what do you use? You know how do you make the determination? So I've I kind of in my mind have always had one, but just have never implemented it because it's a lot of work to make a decision for two pitchers. So what I've done is uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to borrow from my from my DFS play, and I actually I project out every pitcher's projected you know, performance for the entire week based on the matchup, using the same criteria I do with, with DFS, the opponent, the venue, home away, that sort of thing, and come up with a, a projected line based, you know, based upon my rest-of-season expectations tempered by the matchup. So then what I'll, you know, one-start pitchers, that's, that's, you know, that's what it is. Two-start pitchers, I add the two, the, the two games together, and, of course, you have to figure out a way to deal with ratios. I'm dealing with them the same way that I, in, in conventional valuation, there's a little formula you turn them into accounting stats that we all we all use when we do just standard seasonal values. So I do that, 
and I add those up together. And then, so now every pitcher has a wins projection, whatever. You know, Kirk Clayton Kershaw may be .57, and uh, I mentioned Jared Reavers. His may be .12 because, you know, you know, there have to be some perc- some percentage of up to one to win that game. And same with the array, whip, strikeouts. Now you don't have to do saves, obviously. And then I rank all the pitchers rotisserie style. So whoever had the highest uh, proje- uh, you know, win projection gets one point or maybe 165 points or whatever, whichever way I went, doesn't really matter as long as you, you know, go top to bottom or bottom to top and rank the pitchers that way. And that way you sort of have, I have a, it's rotisserie based. So I have the, you know, I I think anyway, a way to differentiate the two start pitchers from the one start pitchers uh, or even how to differentiate a one-start pitcher, a better one-start pitcher with a, a tough matchup versus a, a lesser one-start pitcher with a better matchup. Now I'm kind of putting numbers to it. We'll, uh, we'll see how it works, but that's sort of the plan anyway. It's a work in progress. If it if, if it's, things start looking bad or the, the things don't start to work out to fruition, I'll have to think of a new method, but that's what we're going with now. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's only week one. Now it sounds like this will be ideal for uh Fantasy owners who are operating in leagues where you have uh, daily streaming and that kind of thing, but does does it also apply for DFS? I mean, it's the same principle as DFS, and I'm taking I'm taking one's worth of one day's worth of DFS and making it for the entire week. Now, part of the difficulty, you know, as we all know, that there are several pitching changes and rainouts and the whatnot. So, the the I, if I I'm producing this to to post on the site. Thursday or Friday of the previous week, so any changes that occur before Sunday, I, I'm going to be posting an update. But you know, you could change the matchup, which could change the relative ranking. But it's the same idea. I mean, that's how I look at my DFS pitchers. Is I take my season, I, I take my seasonal projection, boil, I distill it down to a neutral projection, take out the home park, and then look at the park. So I mean, if it's their home game, I'm giving back what I just took out, uh, giving a little bit more credit because it's. A home game where the skills improve, and then adjusting based on the pitcher. So it's sort of doing my DFS calculation for every single pitcher for all the games they're going to pitch that week. Some of the rankings have your comments attached to them, and a couple caught my eye because I had targeted mm-hmm. both of them in my Tout American League planning. First, uh, Sean Manea, you write, is a stud in the making. So what will you be watching about Manea to see if the making is going in a studly direction? A couple things with Manea. Um, this is gonna it's gonna bring in a, a few interesting talking points too. Um, his swinging his swinging strike rate was below uh, the same swinging strike rate by other pitchers was uh, led to a higher K percentage. So it, you can expect some possible. Uh, I, I, it's not you know I'm gonna say positive regression just so people realize that regression goes both ways. You're gonna expect some regression to a higher K rate for Sean Manaya. Now, the caveat there is he pitches in Oakland for half the games, and that park reduces strikeouts. So I don't know how much of the discorrelation between K rate and uh, swinging strike rate is due to the fact that the, that the Coliseum knocks down strikeouts. And that's you know, people saying, well, how can a park do that? A lot of different ways. Uh, Oakland has to do with the foul territory, or in part anyway, just a ton amount of foul, foul territory, that instead of being a foul, foul ball in the stands, that foul ball is an out. And it you know, takes away from the strikeout because in other parks, that's a strike. So and I don't know how much of it has to do with that. But I do think, I don't think it's all of it. I do think in plus and Minaya's 
uh, rookie, not rookie, sorry, minor league uh, pedigree shows a double-digit strikeout rate. Of course, that doesn't mean it's going to be double digits in the majors, but I think there's some growth. So I think we can see more whiffs. And what I, the other thing I'm going to be looking at is Oakland doesn't have the reputation bullpen like Cleveland or or, or the, the, the Yankees with the really studs, but it's pretty deep of solid pitchers. So I'm curious to see whether they'll let him, let Minaya, I don't know, say it's the five and two thirds, and will they, they in, in a runner on base? Will they will they let him work out of it and throw and get through the sixth? And if they do get through the sixth inning, will they let him start the seventh? And if he lets up a base runner, are they going to take him out? I think he threw 166 innings, I believe, over three different uh, levels last season. So he's at, you know 25 years of age, he's ready for 190, maybe even 200 inning season. But in order to do that, he doesn't just have to start 32 games. The team has to let him pitch. So I'm curious, and it may not, we may not know early on because he may not be stretched out and that sort of thing. But as the season progresses, I'm curious to see if he's becoming one of those six and two-thirds, seven-inning guys or if he's going to be more of the Kyle Hendricks, Cantamayeda, uh, where he's, you know, first, first, sign of a, first sign of trouble, the good bullpen comes in and, and makes the pitcher look a little bit better than he might be in the Mayeda and Hendricks uh points just because they uh they, I don't their teams don't seem to trust them to get to get through the sixth if they need to. I think that's a real interesting point about all those pitchers. The stronger the bullpen, we often think, oh well, that's a good thing for them. And in a way it is because uh, you're not going to lose leads, you're not going to have inherited runners score and add to your ERA. On the flip side, though, if the manager knows that he's got a real good bullpen, he's going to be more likely to pull a pitcher early, which cut down his innings, which cuts down on his strikeouts. There's a there's a kind of a yin and a yang here about yeah, uh, about yeah. the the usefulness of a bullpen in making a pitcher good or not so good. Right, and you know it, it, it's the it's the ratios and the wins versus the wins. Now you, maybe it's a better maybe you get a better. Not so many, well, it's, it's the wins versus everything else is what it is. Improves your chances for a win, which is nice. But you know what? I'll take my chances on wins. I want the ratios, especially in, you mentioned DFS, especially in DFS where the win is important, but even less so in some places now they're using quality starts. You want those innings and you want those Ks. So, you know, I'm sure at some point over the summer we'll, we'll talk a little more Kyle Hendricks, how he's doing, but uh, and even even Kent Maeda. Both Both managers, by the way, or both pitchers, by the way, say they want to throw more innings than they did last year. Well, you know, it's not it's up to them in that if they're pitching well, maybe they will. But let's see if their managers agree with their uh with the pitcher's assessment that they can go deeper in the games. That's right. It's going to ultimately be the manager that decides, and I think this is going to be something that's really interesting to watch, not just for Sean Manea, but a lot of pitchers across the league, especially, as I said, any place that has a real good bullpen, because, you know, you'd like if he gets to, the, you know, five and two-thirds, as you said, he's two outs in the sixth, and he gives up a couple of base hits. Maybe he could work his way out of it and get a whole extra inning, but if the if the manager comes and says, you know, that's too much for me, especially in a close game or a tie game, man, you could lose a lot there. I also liked Tyler Skaggs. Yeah. He was well down your list. I didn't get him, but you say he should benefit from improved defense with the Angels. How much fantasy difference do you think that better defense can really make in getting good fantasy results? We still don't have a a, a, a perfect grasp on how much fan, uh, how much defense helps. You know, the, I hate to use the word real game, but the real game. So until we have that information a little bit, you know, we're we're getting there with StatCast and some of these other things, we're getting there. But until we can really quantify defense, 
in the in the real game, I don't know how we can carry it over to fantasy. I just know that it has to. You know, good defense has to help. You, when you got uh, Danny Espinosa joining and Dalton Simmons up the middle, and you've got Mike Trout and well, Cole Calhoun are always been pretty solid. And now you're joined by either Revere or Cameron Mabin. It's a pretty good defense the Angels can throw out there. And Skaggs isn't an extreme ground ball pitcher, but he leans that way a little bit. So there's where Simmons and uh, Espinosa help. And he had a high BABIP last year, and that could be because he's you know doesn't have the out pitch or um, you know two strikes doesn't have the put away pitch and, and gets hit. Or it could be that the defense let him down a bit. So it's uh, it's 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 health with Skaggs. You're you're ba- I think that if he was a perfectly healthy pitcher. Well, is there such a thing? <laughs> if he was, if he was more healthy, he would. I think he'd be on everybody's sleeper list. But I think people are hedging a little bit because of the health. But I do like what I'm seeing with the underlying metrics. And if he can stay healthy, I think Skaggs could be. I, I think. Uh, I think it'll be too bad that you didn't get him. Yeah, I agree. He was. A, he was definitely on my list, and. Uh, the way that the draft ran, uh, there was just too many guys looking for players at the end and, and a little bit too much money to get them all. Uh, I said before draft, I thought Chris Sale was going to be uh, overpriced, considering a lot of the warning signs that I saw in my own research and what I read in others. And here's Chris Sale at 17th on your list, which is not that high for the week. Only two slots better than Ricky Nolasco? This kind of it calls in the two start versus the one start. Um, so now you, you could even make a point that Irvin Santana was ranked above Chris Sale. So, I mean, Chris Sale, uh, we don't know. And, and, and I kind of with you on Sale, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan and, you know, see, see the Red Sox players pitch. Well, he hasn't pitched yet for the Sox. I don't know how Fenway will treat him, the left-handed pitcher. But Sale in general, there's so many narratives about the, well, he's pitching more to contact, and as soon as he gets done with that, he strikes out 11 guys the next day. I don't know who Chris Sale is, and I don't know if he's just he's just throwing the ball and we're making up we're making up stories based upon what he did the last game, or whether he really is trying to do different things and the whatnot. So he's a fairly difficult projection in general because he's you know the stuff is there, the strikeouts have been up and down. It's just which is he an 8.5? K per nine, or is you know closer to the ten that he was a couple of years ago? He's done both, so he's he's pretty difficult. Now, the leagues the leagues I played in a lot of NFBC and, and he people they love strikeouts, so he he was way above where I was willing to pay in in the NFBC sort of thing. So my Chris Sale would be for DFS and personal rooting interests. But as far as this goes, it, you know it's interesting how he he did fall. Uh, let's see, he fell at, at 17, like you mentioned, and you know a couple two-start guys ahead of him, uh, Marco Estrada, Kevin Gausman, a lot of two-start guys ahead, but he came ahead of uh, Cole Hamels, came in at 20, a single-start guy. In between them were Felix and Ricky Nolasco. So that was kind of you know the purpose of this, not purpose, but the, uh, the design of the, of the method was to sort of make a, a play between these players. I mean, you, you, you're probably not going to, Start, you know, I wouldn't have sat Chris Sale over Ricky Nolasco, but I would have been. What am I going to do with uh, Nolasco and Hamels? That's a tough one. And according to the list, there's only one spot, right? So we're not talking about a ton. But according to the list, Nolasco will help me more this week than Hamels. So I could have used the list to help me make that that particular decision. 
You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, talking with Todd. It's Todd Zola from Masters Ball and ESPN and Rotowire. And Todd, uh, you're among your many other uh, things that you do every week, <laughs> you have uh, coverage of the Tout Wars Fab bidding. It's called You Look Fabulous on Masters Ball. And it basically reviews all of the free agent moves that have been made in the week, and then you comment on them along with uh, somebody from each league comments on them as well. It's a really interesting thing. And uh, before I ask you a particular question about that and about roster management uh what do you what do you look for when you're doing this fab an- analysis and what do you hope that readers take away from it it's kind of one of those things that i don't know what i'm looking for when i do my well I, when i'm doing my own i i i have i think i call it todd's take where uh, someone from each league from masters ball and we borrow peter kreutzer to do the head-to-head league the team the team in each league does you know puts their analysis and perspective on the bidding and then i try to find something else just to uh to embellish or something that struck me so i i never know what i'm going to find but it's kind of like when i see it i know it it could be a strategy it could be a player that i can't you know i was surprised was bid so much or surprised that wasn't bid enough and if I really can't find anything, I just find a player and I just talk about him. For you know, the, you know, Brian Walton didn't talk about so and so. So here, here's a a couple tidbits on this guy. That's kind of my fallback. If I, you, if I don't have something more pithy, you know, it's and it's just sort of analysis of an arbitrary player. That's because I I didn't see anything. But I look for trends in the bidding. Um, I will note will will note how many. In, in, I'm sure it'll come up again this season. I maybe should have looked at today's because there's a lot of bids. How a bid ending in zero or five rarely wins the bids. It's always something higher. Um, it's just the, the the nature, you know. Some people out, you know, I, I know people like to end in zero and five, so I never do it. I always go. Uh, I actually go seven because I think someone out there may have read my stuff and go six. <laughs> so I'll 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 go, I'll go seventeen and I won't go sixteen to to beat the guy that goes sixteen. So I look for little cute things like that, and whether they're whether they're true or not, or whether they just give me something to write about, I don't know. But when you're doing, what is it, eight eight of these uh, Todd's takes a week, you know, you got to get creative at point. But what people to take out of it, uh, I mean, unfortunately, due to the timing of the fab runs, it, you really can't help a ton that week because most of the time the running's, you know, you're running the fab the same time. But the leagues are deep enough, and there's enough difference that you maybe get a name or two that made it through your own league's run, and you can look for, for you know, you know, monitor that week and potentially bid on in the following week. And the other thing I find is a lot of times I find that the guys that get picked up in the only leagues, AL and only, for, get picked up the next week in the mixed league because uh, they just they, they had the good week. And um, so if you're in a, in, a, in a shallower league, take a look at the mix, take a look at the AL and the AL only pickups, because so, put those guys in your radar because some of those guys might be uh, targets for you next week in your own mixed league. I also find it interesting to look at the unawarded bids, especially where there's yeah. multiple experts who've taken a crack. Uh, Robbie Grossman, for instance, I think in your take you said, why didn't anybody show any interest in Robbie Grossman? He's got the DH role and he's an on-base percentage guy, which helps in uh, in tout because that's what they use instead of batting average. But there were three unawarded bids, and I think by unawarded bids it usually means the guy had Robbie Grossman down as a second or third choice and just he just didn't get awarded because they right. got somebody else instead. I think that's really interesting to look for. Anybody who's been named two or three times in a league like the one that you play in, or even if it's an AL or NL only, and guys are not getting awarded, 
the fact that there's multiple experts interested in him makes him worth at least a second look. Yeah, and I, I, I probably should do a little, I don't want to say study on this, but I wonder how many how many of these guys get picked up next week. I mean, they were already on there, already on the radar of three or four guys. Or you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're the uh, they're the ones next week. And here, actually, this is this to me might be interesting. Do there are there price will their prices be higher next week? Because I mean, if I'm looking at this list and I see that you know he four people already know about the guy, maybe I have to bid a little more on that guy than someone that just emerges that week. So that might be something to uh to look at. Now all these are, again, I've got the advantage that they're in my uh <laughs> in my computer. But all these uh all these uh all these runs are, are stored. You can look at you know if anybody's curious, they can look at last year's entire season. And if they're curious, check it out. It take a little time, but you know if you want to win a league, it may be the little edge that you need. Is a, if a player that fell short one week, do you need to pay more for him the next week or not? You may, you know you may get you another an extra player or two. I was also curious to look at the other tout leagues, uh, the mixed league draft, for instance, and how different the pricing was. Uh, they went after Blake Trinan was the big uh, catch. Of course, he became the closer in Washington to the great surprise of many. And uh, boy, there was some pretty aggressive bidding. And the winner got uh, Scott White got him for two hundred sixty-three out of a thousand. Don't don't you look at that and wonder why two sixty three? Why not two sixty four or two sixty two? <laughs> you know, well, I'd like to get a hold of Scott White and say what was your thinking because I think that is really interesting as well to notice how guys price their bids in what must be a sort of a vacuum. What is a sort of a vacuum for a lot of us, even though we know our competitors? Yeah, no, it's just now something just sort of uh, not so much technical, but just so people realize that the mixed draft occurred several weeks ago whereas the auction occurred this uh, weekend ago or a couple weekends ago so the someone like Trinan is might be more attractive if a, if a team has lost their closer since uh, early March or whatever but funny you should mention I'm going to plug plug a little something else here but funny you should mention you know you'd like to ask Scott White I've had that I, I've wanted to you know ask people questions you know, for for years about this sort of thing, and we're gonna there's gonna be a a, a Tout War sponsored radio show on the Fantasy Network coming up uh, coming up this season where the uh, the hosts are going to actually interview Touts and can if Scott's on this week that question may be posed to him. So uh, I think it's kind of a it's kind of a neat thing that uh, they're they're running it through Fantasy Network uh, where we had the uh, where we had the drafts uh, at, at the Rock and Riley's in New York. So uh, looking forward to. Uh, participating a little bit and being interviewed and whatnot in the new Tout Radio Show. The start of the regular season, Todd, in addition to uh, fab bidding, also means the start of general roster management. And let me ask you first, how much effect on outcomes does in-season roster management have versus the draft? And I know you've looked at this. Yeah, I think you're referring to the, the studies I've shown where you've, we've, all, we've all drafted anywhere between 75 and 90% of our final stats uh, after the draft, another you know, if you just to, you know use a you know a, a, an exaggerated number, um, if if the end of the season you end up with a thousand units, we probably put 750 to 900 of those on our roster on opening day, which is a you know it seems a, a, like there's a you know a lot of it, but that's you know 10 to 250 or, or 10 to 25 percent. There's still a lot of wiggle room. There's still you know especially when you get teams in between and you just don't know the distribution. So we've come. A good amount of the way but we haven't finished it yet so 
Um, you want a good draft to put yourself in, you know, in, in contention. But man, we all we all still got a lot of work to do. So yeah, uh, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to go overboard. But the, you do want to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, there's still, uh, you know, there's still 40 more home runs and 35 more steals that we're gonna that that aren't on our roster now that we're gonna find from somewhere. Do you subscribe to that old saw that says you can't win a league at your draft, but you can lose it? No, no, I think, well, no, I, I don't, I mean, I think you can, you can, you can have such a, you know, yeah, you, you need to set yourself up. Well, I, you know, can you win the league? No, you have to, you have to do the moves. You, you can't just be complacent, but I believe that you can put yourself in a better spot to win a league. I think you can improve your chances to win the league. And, you know, can you lose it? I suppose if it's a really, really terrible draft, but I mean, in a draft where you're doing snake, you're doing snake drafts, it's really hard to to lose it at the draft because just by the way the the dynamic of a draft at an auction i suppose if you if you left a lot of money on the table would be how you lost the, the lost the league if you mismanage your money and left it on the table because to me if even if you you know say say you take a lot of chances and the chances didn't come through i don't think you lost the lost the league at the auction i just your strategy just didn't come to fruition so the, i think the only way you can lose it is if you just completely mismanage you know bungle the bungle the money and just leave 30 bucks on the table and 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 you know that putting yourself so far behind the eight ball that no matter how good your moves are you're not going to catch up obviously at this stage of the season we wanted to replace all our injured or demoted players that we got during the drafts but what other areas todd should owners be focusing on in this early season roster management um, practice yeah now this now this is i think more towards the uh, the shallower the mixed leagues that that have the plusher free agent pool and I think a mistake a lot of people make is the you mentioned injured players they in a in a mixed league they only look to replace the injured players now oh, J D Martinez is out I need another outfielder um, what I I think you you should you should do though is is consider your reserve I don't want to say consider your reserve list injured but if you see an available free agent player better than someone on your reserve I think you should make that move. Because it's you may not need that player this week. You may not need I don't know Jarrett Parker this week. But if an outfielder gets hurt, you might need you know I don't know if you have maybe Nori Aoki as your and I know they're different styles of players. Maybe not the best. Maybe not not the best comparison. But if you know if you get a, a power hitter that's not you know uh, not as strong as Parker, um, you know when you do need that 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 punch, I'd rather have Parker than whoever it is that I have now. So I think you should look to re-upgrade your reserve, not just look to replace injured players. And I think, especially because right now is when you get the stronger uh, available players in the middle towards the end, in the middle of the season. Yeah, there'd be good players that emerge, but there'll also be a lot of competition for them. So now is the time where the uh, the, the supply of the replacements is probably exceeds the demand and it is the time to you know upgrade your reserves is a long-winded way of what i'm trying trying to say in a long-winded way and i'm glad you said it because one of my uh, one of my strategies or tactics i never can tell what it is uh <laughs> at the at, in the first week fab was uh i did want to upgrade my reserve and i did it by um basically picking up three Lima-type relievers, uh, and under tout rules, I have to leave them active for one week. I can't just I can't yeah. pick them up and put them directly to reserve, but I'll live with them for the first three weeks, and then I'm going to start using them selectively to move back and forth with starting pitchers that I think are um, 
suspect during a particular week using your pitcher rankings or using the baseballhq.com rankings for a particular start. Sure. And uh, when I came out of draft, I didn't have those guys because I didn't want them at the time. And I, I thought in week one, I'll take a look and see who's got good bullpen positions, maybe an outside shot at some saves. Uh, not that I'm after saves. I punted, but if I figure uh, uh, last season, I grabbed uh, Kelvin Herrera when he was still the setup guy, and he ended up being the closer, and I ended up trading him very usefully to one of the other guys in the league. So this is a time when you can actually make moves that help you in the long term, even if they don't actually look like it when you first uh, take a look at the player list. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, you just mentioned about picking up your setup guys. I mean, it's post-draft for most people now, but it's why if I'm not if I'm not buying Dylan Batentes or Andrew Miller or something like that, I'm doing what you do and that you know I'm waiting and I'm reading Doug Dennis's column about you know who's who's emerging in the bullpen, and I'm picking you know the equivalent of Dylan Batantis up for free not for you know close to being free, and you know he's not as good as Batantis or Miller, but relative to the price and what I can use that extra you know that extra eleven or twelve thirteen dollars that cost to get Miller. Uh, my, you know, my team could be better if, uh, you know, I, I look in the NL, I look to a guy, you know, I was able to get Jacob Barnes really, really, uh, cheap, you know, to use in that role in, in Milwaukee, uh, setup guy, probably behind Corey Knable as far as, uh, speculative saves behind Natali Feliz, but it wouldn't shock me if, uh, if he's my Herrera, he's my equivalent of your Herrera by the end of the season. In the meantime, I can use him, you know, when, when my, uh, I don't know, uh, when my Amir Garrett, has a rough matchup in Cincinnati. I'd rather have Barnes in there for his two innings than Garrett for his, you know, getting blown up for five or whatever it might be. Just for the record, I grabbed Joaquin Soria, Brian Shaw, and uh, Xavier Cedeno because uh, part of my thinking also was I want to save some fab money for down the road. Like last year, I ended up getting a really good player mm-hmm. at the when the uh, changeover came. I got uh, Jonathan Lucroy. I knew. Jason Grilly was going to draw some bids, and I knew Joe Biagini was going to draw some bids. I actually was surprised that he got only $21, but Nando DeFino grabbed Grilly for 181 and that seems a little excessive to me, more than I certainly would have thought he was worth. Um, Nando's got his own thinking going on, and he's entitled to that, of course. But I don't see Grilly having a long run as the closer in Toronto because they say Osuna's injury is not that severe. Yeah, and I think the the the... the if it is severe, don't you think that they'll go out and get somebody? And not, you know, there are some guys available. I think they would go out and at least, at least towards the end of the towards the trading deadline, which I don't know, maybe that gives you two or four months out of Grilly. I don't know, but it is taking the chance. So um, you, you mentioned saving Fab. A lot can happen. I'm not going to say that Nando is now out of the running for the stud at the trading deadline, um, but you, you just don't know. And the other thing too, though, and I found I. Excuse me. From having uh, some poor finishes for a couple of years, I had less fab than others, and I be- I became more aggressive with it because heck, I knew I wasn't going to be involved at the deadline, and it actually helped me win last year because I I wasn't I was able to be aggressive early and pick up some guys that uh, filled holes early. What other people were holding back, waiting for those trades. So maybe Nando now says, you know, I well, I've already I'm already 20% of my budget gone. Why not go heavy on this guy, heavy on that guy? And if I do get him for four, five, six months, and not just two months, you know, it could help. So there's a lot of ways. How to play Fab is is one of the, you know we talked about in season management. It's one of the keys how you how you manage your Fab. 
Do you have any general rules for the kind of guys you're looking for? I know we mentioned potential closers. Uh, how much useful action can you take at this stage to address maybe some uh, stat scarcity that came out of the draft? Yeah, if if yeah, if, if the if the flow of the draft now in 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 a trading league, I don't worry about it. You know, I I just try to pile stats up. I don't worry about balancing home run steals. I don't worry about trying to win the draft by my you know, by my projections, I just want to get as much stuff on my roster as possible. So sure, if I if I felt light on steals or light on power coming out because of the way the draft gave me, I'm not going to count on a trade. If um, I don't know, Jacob May is is a guy I wrote a lot about in the Fab. If if if, if I feel light on steals in AL, even even mixed, I'm going to throw a bid in on him. Now. Uh, the more, you know, his batting, it's more of his OBP. His OBP is terrible. His batting average isn't great, but I kind of made a point about, you know, geez, I'm surprised he didn't draw more attention in all the tout leagues. The guy's going to start in center field, and we don't know when Charlie Tilson's coming back, and the AL's so short of steals. Why didn't people go more aggressive? Well, it might be because it's, you know, 270, 280 OBP, which will you know, drag you down in tout. But even so, depending upon the rest of your roster, I was still a little surprised that May didn't draw more interest. He is starting for a team that's probably going to run and he's hitting ninth but i'm not worried about that and stolen a guy steals from the nine hole in the american league so maybe he moves up eventually but yeah so i will look for uh i will look for deficiencies that i'm gonna also i mentioned parker before if i feel good in homers uh you know i don't i won't shy away from that because if in order to you need to stay good in homers so you know if you have an advantage you want to make sure you keep it you don't want you know if i, if I lose a power hitter i'm going to want to replace him with a power hitter not that parker is going to hit you know 25 in that place but he could get into the teens if he holds the job so um i i i, I do look to i think probably the first thing would be looking towards uh filling a deficiency but then i don't shy away from just grabbing a guy if it doesn't appear that there's a deficiency there would you ever take a guy because you were worried about the tightness of the category and you didn't want him to get on somebody else's roster, potentially to go by you? Uh, later in the season, possibly. Um, or, I, you know, I mean, it's kind of tough to play defense after week one when you notice that, you know, a, a, a player that you consider to be a very strong competitor maybe lost J.D. Martinez. So maybe you want to go strong on the best outfielder so that guy doesn't get the uh, the best outfielder I don't know I mean it's a little early to sort of play that 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 uh, I don't know, micromanaging sort of game and who's to say that 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 person is your strongest competitor this year I don't know but I think later in the season we you start playing a little bit more defense here is just you know plug away you know pound away or plug away pl plug away at a, at, a, at a deep league pound away at a shallow league <laughs> with the quality players but yeah just fill the holes. Uh, like you mentioned, trying to fill some holes and just stay on top and, and take it. You know, the other thing that it's, it's a little bit early, but the other thing is to go in, in weeks coming up, see what other teams drop. They get a little antsy and, and drop players because they're off to a slow start or uh, I'm trying to think of, a, you know, Texas might be a situation where we're not quite sure of who's playing where. So, um, you know, Profarm might be dropped or or you may someone may have picked up the shields this week and may drop him next week because Profar got the opening they start. So you might be able to, you know, pay attention and it's harder to find these guys early in the season with sorting and, 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 and however your service list of free agents, they may not have a lot of at bats so they may get buried. 
But, you know, check to see the, the who was dropped the previous week. Sometimes you can find a gem that way. A lot of it, of course, depends on how much money you have to spend and how it's calibrated. Uh, of course, what do you do if you're in a league that uses the old waiver f- system? Your worst guy gets first pick, and then sometimes the worst guy gets first pick every week. But uh, more typically, I think the worst guy gets first choice in this week. If he uses it, then he drops down to the bottom of the list. That's a whole different set of tactical thinking, isn't it? Yeah, it's been a while since I played in a league of that nature. And my personal opinion was uh don't you know, don't wait on that pick. Now, you know, I'm trying to think of maybe 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 someone has number one priority now and due to their league rules, Leon Mancata isn't couldn't be drafted because he was sent down. So they're gonna you know, they're gonna wait they want Mancata. All right, great. I don't know when he's coming up and the question now is, you know, you can you, you don't have to put in a pick, but you can probably get somebody sort of after waivers run, so you get the the pick of the litter of the pillars that weren't picked up. So now you have to sort of you know kind of you know pretend you can do the math. What will, what will Makata give me, and what am I losing by getting in the first come first serve sort of player? I always felt that you know what I I, I don't want to wait for the stud, uh, you know bird in the hand sort of thing. And if I'm good enough, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna l- happen upon a player who does gives me what Mankata or somebody else might give me. So I was always aggressive. I didn't worry about the number one the number one uh, prospect. I just I wanted to get one of the better players of the first run through the waivers, and I'll just let the let the rest flesh out afterwards. And you know, if your team is out of contention by the time Mankata is called up, unless it's a keeper league, I mean, you know, what good did it do you? And if it's a keeper league, is a pretty important consideration as well. But all of this kind of thinking makes me want to just editorialize briefly that (laughs) having a fab system for these pickups is way better than having any other kind of uh, ordered uh, system like the waivers that I discussed, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I do play in some football leagues that do that, which is a little different because just the once a week and there's not as many times to worry about it and and that sort of thing. But absolutely. And and, in fab, most of the sites out there now, you know, even if you're in a draft league, and this is like Tout Wars, Tout Wars, you know, has the draft, but we do use fab to pick up the players. It's like, you don't have to, it's not like, you know, auction has to use fab, you know, it can be draft leagues as well. And, you know, you can spread the, you know, we've, as we've talked before about Vickery and non Vickery, it's sort of a, a related, but not the same conversation. It's, it's certainly fairer than waiver, especially if, if the way to figure waivers out is by placement in the standings of the whatnot, you know, you could happen, you know, this is really true in football. You lose your first week, you know, by a fluke, and then you then get the running back that emerges because you were 0-1-1. It's similar in baseball. If you're low on the standings and you get high waiver priority, you could, you know, you could get Blake Trinan and, and just just because one of your starters had a bad outing and really messed up your ratios, and your team's going to be much better than that, and, and now you get Blake Trinan too. Whereas, you know, if you, if you lost, if you have Osuna or whatever, and you, you can now bid on Blake Trinan, or if you, if you drafted Sean Kelly you can now bid on you know how much it's more it's even though it's not perfect the, the amount when you know you mentioned how did how did Scott come up with 263 even though there's no perfect formula it's still better than the luck of the draw and as you say even fairer than just saying the guy who's at the bottom I lost the league one year because of that exact thing I had a a pretty good uh, team and my nearest competitor the one who i was worried about the most after week one had one bad outing and he fell right to the bottom of the era and ratio categories as a result he was down at the bottom of the standings but he had a really good team and as it worked out there was a a 
particular player that came into the pool that wasn't available at the draft. And of course he got dibs on him because he was the lowest guy that week. It's a really bad way of, of assigning free agents, I think. And uh, if I was in a league that had it, I'd either say, look, you guys, we got to consider moving over to this other method or I'm going to go find another league because this is not a good system. Well, you know how it was. The original rule book is you couldn't even replace a player if, unless it was a natural opening, you had to have a guy hurt or you had to have a player sent to the minors. So, you know, if, you know, they, they felt it was fair to be, well, I have a hurt guy, I can replace him. But to me, it's, it should be how much, you know, how much are you willing to pay for that guy regardless of the situation? So, you know, playing old school rules back in the day, you know, there were some trades made just to open up a roster spot. So you can make, you know, there's a guy that you want to bid on, you don't have a natural opening. You maybe do a two for one or a three for two just to have an open room. It's kind of fun. It would add it to the, add it to the dynamic, but I, I agree. I think it should be how much you want the player, how much you're willing to invest of the assets, uh, in this case being fab. And the, the person who's willing to invest the most should get the player. And it also creates that tactical element of trying to guess what your opponents are going to do. Does, does he need him as much as I do? Does he figure to benefit as much as I do? Maybe he's going to think he has to outbid me and therefore I have to outbid him. And, you know, at some point you get all the way up. Or if you think to yourself, the particular players in whom I'm interested, and this is what I did on week one, I know that I want three of these Lima type relievers. And because of the way that pitching is going in the, in the big leagues and because of our roster rules, there was dozens of them. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but there was certainly 10 or 11 guys I would have been just happy right. to have. So I just stacked them up. I put them in the order I thought I wanted them and just one, two, three, four, five. And I knew I'd get three replacements out of the 11 picks, for heaven's sakes. How unlikely would it be that that wouldn't happen? And for that reason, I think tactically I made a good decision not to bid anything on some of these other guys. But I guess, uh, as you said, we certainly will see. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola, talking with Todd as we do. And Todd, uh, I usually do at this point the studs and duds for the uh, for the week, but I'm going to challenge you a little here. Uh, maybe you can try <laughs> to find some studs and duds, but only among the free agents that might still be in the pool. And we'll talk about like mixed leagues because there's nothing left <laughs> for, for most AL and NL oh. only at this point. So just do what you want. We'll start with some hitters in the American League. Who's a stud hitter that you like that might be in the pool? I mentioned, here, I can answer this guy both stud and dud. I mentioned Jacob May. If you need speed, and even in the shallower league, uh, deeper leagues, Jacob May might be available. Depending upon your draft was, DeShields, Delano DeShields may be available. But the guy I think that you, you can probably get, and I, you, you talked about him, was, was Robbie Grossman. Now, the catch is they've got Kenneth Vargas potentially coming back and Byung-Ho Park, who everybody thought would be the DH of Minnesota, down on the farm again. So it may not long last very long, but one of the things that we, you know, kind of when we do our, our numbers in mixed leagues, we kind of factor it out over the whole season, forgetting on a per-week basis a player might be a lot better. You know, if you, if you prorate that to the whole season, Robbie Grossman might be might have been already drafted. So uh, as long as he's the DH hitting near the top of the order, you know, uh, he's a guy in the AL that I'm looking for, like you mentioned, especially in, in on-base leagues. And, and as somebody once said when I was talking about this, 
insofar as the closers are concerned, a big part of, of who's going to have the job in the long run is who has it now. I mean, Robbie Grossman may take this job and run with it and, and just not give Kenneth Vargas, who's no superstar, any opportunity to come in. What you have to worry about is that Robbie Grossman goes, you know, two for 25 over, his, uh, over five or six game run, doesn't draw a walk and strikes out six times. And at that point, they have to look at making a replacement. But right now, he's the DH, and that has value. Not just that. I mean, this is a team-specific point, but, you know, depending on the team, it may matter. What they've got, Max Kepler and Eddie Rosario, a couple of nice players, but they also both bat lefty. Uh, maybe they fall into a platoon. So if, if Grossman continues to hit and Park and or Vargas continue to rake or start to rake, it's not as if DH is the only place Grossman can play. They can put him in the outfield at, at, at worst as, as, a, as the weak side of platoon. But who knows? Rosario and or Kepler get hurt or even, you know, if, if they get Buxton in center now. I don't wish injury or whatever. But if someone gets hurt, then, you know, Grossman's the guy that moves to the outfield. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, pathways to playing time for a guy like Robbie Grossman. And he ended the year last year. Listen, I'm not a, you know, not going to, he did had great September. Therefore I'm going to, you know, jump him up on my rankings, but he did end the year in a positive note. And if, if nothing else that influences the manager's decision, you know, it, it doesn't change my projection, but you kind of alluded to earlier, what do you do early in the season? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't jump a guys up. I don't change my, 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 my projection for a player, but if he's playing well, that might, that the man in the manager's mind that may uh, that may help him keep the job. So, which is important. So, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm trying to think of a guy that hit a couple homers uh, opening day. It doesn't mean much. I'm not going running and changing my projection. But in the manager's mind, if there was a, con- a possibility that the guy would, you know, sit a little bit more this year, maybe he won't now. Madison Bumgarner hit two home runs. That he did, and and and, uh, and uh, you know, people, you know, is he going to be pinch hitting? But uh, we shall see. When they have the Otani rule, maybe we'll be able to get to use Bumgarner in our, as our DH sometimes. Yeah, why couldn't you? I mean, if he pinch hits uh, every so often, he might get more home yeah. runs than a lot of guys. You should be able to yeah. say, you know, for my reserve pick, I take I take uh, Madison Bumgarner as a hitter and watch everybody start right. screaming, especially because somebody would have him as a pitcher already, so you'd have to have those right. arguments. <laughs> uh, in the National League, who's a stud hitter you think might be available? Jose Martinez, the, ca- the Cardinals kind of bashed his way onto the lineup. So, again, where you, uh, the roster, where you have your uh, draft, he may, you know, he may have already had a strong enough spring that he's already on a team. Now, similarly, you know, we, maybe this is a maybe this is slight, a, a, a more of a, a deeper mixed league pick, but Jesus Aguiar of the uh, Brewers had a great spring and it caught the coaches and manager's attention so much so that uh, you know, we've talked about him before, Eric Thames, thought was going to be playing first base but there's a chance he could go play a little more outfield where he played when he was in his first go round to the American League uh, sorry MLB in the you know this in the National League so there's a there is a pathway for uh, Aguiar to get more bats at first by putting Thames in the outfield Thames could just bl- flame out himself and and not deserve playing time but it's not like the Milwaukee outfield has got you know it's it's not as if they're running with uh you know Fred Lynn Dwight Evans and Jim Rice, my old Boston roots, you know, three guys he ain't going to move. So <laughs> dating, dating myself a little bit there. But um, so Aguiar is a guy that uh, he's shown the hit tool in the past and just not good enough defense or just not good enough of a hit hitting hitter to warrant a full-time position. But a team like the Brewers, you never know. 
And in the American League, who's the stud pitcher that might have scraped through uh, the week one uh, snaffling uh, exercise? You know what? This guy's probably was probably taken, and if it, if an AL has deep reserves, but with the injury to Drew Smiley, Ariel Miranda is probably going to be available in a lot of leagues. And I mean, you know, we're talking deep here. Um, Safeco Park is still a pitcher's park, even though it's a little more homer friendly. And I think that's going to be a pretty decent offense out there. So especially in American League only, I think Miranda's a good guy. You know what? He fits. He, he checks most of the boxes for me for streaming. So even in a, in a mixed league, the, the box is being... I'd like the National League box, but he doesn't check that. But it's like I mentioned, it's a good park, and he's going to have a pretty decent offense behind him. So I can even see picking up Miranda in a mixed league, strictly for the for streaming purposes, because it does look like he's going to be taking a... It's going to take a little while for, uh, what was it, a soggy arm that Smiley has, they initially said. It's going to take a little while for that arm to dry out. Yeah. And, of course, he's one of the guys I drafted a tout, uh, unfortunately oh, for me. I... I, I I got I got shares too. I just I love the I love the talent and uh, I like the situation. I thought the flyball guy in that park would do pretty well. And who's a National League stud pitcher might be in the pool? Well, I mean, is it cheating to say Trinan? I, I suppose. I mean, um, he could come out and we, we we talked a little bit about him, but uh, beating out Sean Kelly and Coda Glover, um, whether he was a third choice of, of most fantasy people are not you know when if, if when you think that it was dusty making the decision i may have gone with trident just because <laughs> it's dusty um the other uh, amir garrett now i picked him up as my first reserve in tout wars so um not saying because i picked him up you know it's smart and yada 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 he may not have you know he may go through the cracks in other leagues but uh, starting pitcher of the reds the red people get scared off by the park but it's one of those weird parks that Homer friendly, but not quite as run friendly as could be perceived. He he doesn't check the boxes for me in a mix because of the uh, uh it just the offense isn't very good. And if he does give up homers, it's it's tough. But if you're looking for uh, if you're short a starter in NL only, uh, I don't mind Garrett at all. Todd Zola studs Robbie Grossman of Minnesota. Take a look at Jacob <laughs> May of Chicago as well. Uh, Milwaukee's Jesus Aguilar. We have Ariel Miranda on the pitching side from Seattle. And as uh, National League pitchers, take a look at Amir Garrett of Cincinnati. And if Blake Trinan, of course, is available in your league, jump all over him. Uh, let's move over to the duds, Todd. In the American League, who's somebody you think might attract interest who should not? See, that's tough because, I mean, I, if we were looking, I, I didn't really look for uh, up the ladder a little bit. I was trying to figure out who was picked up in the deeper leagues. And the name that came up to mind was Yandy Diaz, who had kind of a a hot end of the spring and could be replacing Jason Kipnis. Um, but there's also other choices that they could be using at third base there. So I wouldn't want to invest too much in Yandy Diaz because even if he does hit, it's not he's probably not going to play for very long. Kipnis will be coming back. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that uh... – he would play long enough for uh, for Jose Ramirez to move over and get that second base eligibility, which would really uh, give him an extra boost in value in the mm. National League. Who's a who's a guy that you think might attract some interest? Probably shouldn't. This time last year, we were talking Jabari Blash, and I guess and I fell down maybe because I fell down that rabbit hole. And again, we're talking really really deep. If I had looked up, you know, maybe a mixed league National Leaguer, I may have I may have landed upon another name. But he showed, you know, he showed just because he had a hot spring. Uh, doesn't mean he's going to carry over. Now there there may be an opportunity with Dickerson hurt early if if Flash gets in there, but if you're if you're chasing power, the name is so cool 
and he did have a hot spring, but I don't know that I'm going to be all over Jabari Blash. Going over to the mound, an American League pitcher who's going to draw attention that probably you want to avoid. Yeah, we talked about him. Uh, Jason Grilly, I think people love saves. We just don't know how long. As As much as you need saves... We just don't know how long Grilly is going to pitch. Now, you talked about Nando and, and, and deciding to make a pretty decent bid. Maybe he's hoping that Osuna's out for longer than he is, and Grilly's closing for a really good team. And as we showed in the uh, the, the, the first pitch forum tours, uh, our colleague Ron Chandler pointed out that you can correlate save opportunities to expected wins, and Toronto's supposed to win games. So Grilly's going to be closing for a good team. Uh, I'm just not so sure. It, for a lot of the reasons I mentioned, uh, it does sound like Osuna's coming back. And if it turns out that Osuna's out for an extended period of time, I can see Toronto getting somebody. I don't know that Nando's bid was excessive, but I wouldn't go much higher than that, even if I needed saves. But uh, So I think he's a guy, even especially in a mixed league, there will be more. There will be guys that emerge with a, a better sense of keeping the job. I don't necessarily think Toronto will go out and acquire a closer. I think they believe that they have somebody out there now, and even if Osuna is out for any length of time, I think that they they're looking at Grilly in the kind of sense. Well, we'll give him first crack at it, but if he doesn't get the job done, then we've got Joe Smith out there. We got Joe Biagini out there. They've got options beyond Jason Grilly, and that's what worries me about Grilly. It's not that you know that Toronto will will rush out and you know find Jonathan Papelbon wherever he is and sign him, but that they just they just think well this guy didn't get it let's go to the next guy you know and they think that they have those guys that's one of the reasons they grabbed Joe Smith I think I, I guess I mean you're you're much you're you're closer I need to do a little more research into their front office because there are some front offices that you know will go out and get somebody and there are others that realize you know what in the you know even the ones that do go out and get somebody they probably didn't have to it's just their philosophy um, I, in, I in Toronto does have a pretty sharp group in there so a lot. You, you are probably right in that, that they're smart enough to realize that even to compete in the in the AL East, they probably have the guys to get by. But, um, I well, maybe because I'm vested in Osuna in a league that I'm, that I'm hoping it's, uh, I mean, the news, it seemed, I don't know, uh, it didn't seem too bad. But again, when, 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 when every single note you read isn't too bad, the fact that you're reading a week and a half's worth of notes is bad. You know, I, he he slept weird was one of the notes, and he they, you know if if it was a real game he would have pitched that day that sort of thing. So nothing turned me off of, and I think it was the AL only in the NFBC where I drafted as soon as my closer. Nothing, and the reason I probably got him because he went cheaper because of these injuries, but nothing scared me away. It sounded like he slept weird one night and uh, hurt his neck and it was going to be fine. So uh, hopefully that's the case. Something else you said, Todd, that interested me was they're a sharp bunch in the Toronto front office, as a lot of front offices are becoming. And something I think fantasy players have known for a long time, especially Stratomatic and uh, score sheet players, and that is closers are made, they're not born. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That we attach this magical title to them, but they're really just, you know, above average relief pitchers. And most bullpens have more than one. I mean, Billy Bean made a fortune over the years, right. you know, turning a guy into a closer, then wheeling him off and bringing the next guy up and just put him in the save situation. He'll get saves. Any pitcher would. And I think maybe Toronto realizes that as well. well let's move over to the National League. Who's a dud pitcher that's going to attract some free agent attention that you think would be uh, a little bit over uh, overestimated? 
Yeah, I, I guess I guess I could have looked a little higher up. I was thinking more of the deeper leagues. I'll just kind of I don't want to say cheat here, but man, every single Pittsburgh Pirate reliever was bid on in, in in all the leagues this week. There's just no trust in Tony Watson, and I just I don't understand why. And, well, I, I guess I do in that they he's he's not that great a left-handed uh, pitcher. He's left-handed, and he could be traded. But, I don't know, Pittsburgh, to me, has shown confidence in Watson. If they were going to make a move, they think they already would have done it. So maybe it's just my statement of, of I trust Tony Watson more than, than, uh, than these, you know, the uh, Rivera and, and Nicasio and, uh, and Daniel Hudson, who are all good pitchers. But as we kind of talked about as far as middle relievers, none of these guys are – I think there are better guys that you want just to protect ratios and to get strikeouts than Nicasio and – and Rivera and Hudson, although Hudson is showing signs that he they could be that guy. You know, I'd rather have Jacob Barnes than any of those three. Um, so I, if you, people are out there throwing money at the at the second, third, fourth, and fifth pirate reliever, hoping that Watson gets traded, I think they might be disappointed and they may be dropping that guy in the next week or two. Todd, this has been a delight. As always, tell our listeners where they can keep track of Todd Zola. On Twitter, at Todd Zola, T-O-D-D-Z-O-L-A. We, we mentioned Royal Wire, do some work there. And I'm returning to the writing of the daily notes on ESPN. So we're, we're, we're changing it up a little bit this year. Less DFS emphasis, more uh, tilted towards uh, seasonal leagues that have daily moves. So we're, we're digging deep for the guys that, that are going to help you out that day on your rosters. Maybe they're on reserve and you can bump them up looking for the good platoon matchups or if you need to steal a guy going against a weak battery. So no more talking about how – I don't have to think of 31 ways to say how great Clayton Kershaw is anymore. We're not talking about Clayton Kershaw anymore. Uh, we're, we're, we're digging deeper now for, uh, for helping the daily notes. Sounds fantastic, Todd. Uh, really looking forward to that as well as everything that you do. Uh, I read everything that I can. Uh, thanks very <laughs> much for helping us out again this week. We'll talk to you again in a few weeks' time. Absolutely, and you alluded to them. The thing, the other thing, was starting up with the Fab reports on Masters Ball. The labor and the tout reports are there. Man, they're monsters this week. But uh, that, that's where you can get all this great information about transactions. Todd Zola writes regularly for MastersBall.com, ESPN, and RotoWire. Our Baseball HQ commentaries are next. Stay with us on Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Ray Murphy, and I'd like to take a minute to explain why we call BaseballHQ.com the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It's because BaseballHQ.com is ready to set you up for success in your drafts with great information across all the major fantasy formats. Get ready for your draft or auction now with news analysis, prospect coverage, and player performance validation. And use our valuation tools and cheat sheets so you don't just get ready. You feel ready and confident that you'll dominate your competition at the draft table. Here's PD with a look at just a little of what's on BaseballHQ.com right now. In playing time tomorrow, Greg Pyron looks at playing time in the National League East, including the Marlins' first base situation. In facts and flukes, Dave Adler looks at Chris Sale, Gene Segura, Kyle Gibson's hot spring, and more. And for you streamers and DFSers, our daily pitcher matchups reports are back. And that's just some of the great content at BaseballHQ.com. We're adding 30 articles every week to help keep you on top of your game. If you want to invest in your fantasy baseball success, we have a couple of options for you. 
the full year subscription to Baseball HQ is currently $75, which includes all the articles and tools, plus membership in our HQ forums, the message boards where serious fantasy baseball players like you gather to exchange ideas and tips. We also have a draft prep subscription option with all the same privileges through April 30th for just $39. And if you enter the promo code HQRADIO at checkout, we'll knock a five spot off the price just to thank you for listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Come join us at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It's BaseballHQ.com. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have frequent flyers. And leading off, it's our playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or losing those at-bats or innings. Here with a look at the playing time situation in the St. Louis infield is Baseball HQ analyst Ryan Bloomfield. It looks like it'll be a game of musical chairs throughout the St. Louis Cardinals infield, at least to start 2017, particularly at second and third base. BaseballHQ.com Sam Grant recently recapped manager Mike Matheny's plans for the two positions in his playing time tomorrow column on April 1st. Early indications are that we'll see a platoon at second base, despite incumbent Colton Wong's somewhat public disappointment in the move. But Wong hasn't shown the ability to hit lefties with a career 290 on base percentage in a 46 power index, which basically means no pop at all against Southpaws throughout his career. The lack of playing time, at least initially, cramps Wong's odds at reaching the 2020 upside we hinted at in the 2017 baseball forecaster, but Wong still owns the skills from 2014 and 15 when he put up back-to-back $15 seasons in standard formats. Technically behind Wong at second base is Jed Jerko, who's officially not the starter at second or third, but he did get the start over Wong on opening night against lefty John Lester, which does make sense given that Jerko has a 330 on base and a 111 career PX against lefties. That's much better than Wong's, and it's something we'll likely see on a regular basis going forward. Jerko hit 30 home runs last season with excellent support from his power metrics and steadily increasing fly ball rate. Jerko made enough contact with the 76% contact rate while he only hit 243 in 2016. Some of that was due to a 24% hit rate or 240 Babbitt, which was well below Jerko's career baseline. Jerko also offers some position flexibility as he qualifies at shortstop second and he played 39 games at third base in 2016. The Cardinals starter at the hot corner, Johnny Peralta, will look to recover from his 260 season with just eight home runs last season and a season that was decimated by a thumb injury. At 35, though, Peralta's no sure thing for a return to health. So while Jed Jerko hasn't really been named a starter in St. Louis, his defensive flexibility and ability to hit lefties should net him enough playing time to make a fantasy impact. And if there's an injury at second, third, or even shortstop in St. Louis, Jerko will have a great shot to hit a career-high at-bat total, which could net him another 25 to 30 home runs with a decent batting average. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every week. 
Now it's time for our frequent flyers comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyers are Detroit outfielder Jacoby Jones and Tigers starting pitcher Matt Boyd. And here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. How do you change your fortunes by changing your stripes? This week's edition of Frequent Flyers, we present a tale of two Tigers who have turned their 2016 problems into 2017 opportunities, beginning with the Detroit Tigers' new center fielder, Jacoby Jones. You may remember Jones as a player acquired from Pittsburgh in the Joaquin Soria deal at the 2015 trade deadline. That same year, Jacoby Jones was named as one of the Arizona Fall League's rising stars. However, Jacoby Jones suffered a quick fall from grace when he was handed down a drug suspension early in the 2016 season before making his Major League debut later that year. According to Tom Kephart in the March 29th edition of Playing Time Today on BaseballHQ.com, Jones offers an intriguing speed-power blend. Yet Tom Kephart also warns that Jacoby Jones's Major League equivalents are unimpressive suggesting his contact challenges will produce a potentially unrosterable average. Perhaps this could be due to Jacoby Jones having a long swing that hinders contact. According to Baseball HQ's 2017 Minor League Baseball Analyst, that's why Jacoby Jones, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered long shots, who may be worth a flyer if they're available in your league. Still, we are currently projecting Jacoby Jones to earn $7 over the course of the 2017 season. Not bad for an April waiver wire pick. Another potentially valuable April waiver wire pick, who also happens to play for the Tigers, is 26-year-old Detroit starter Matt Boyd. Acquired the July 30th trade that sent David Price to Toronto in 2015, left-hander Matt Boyd has often been overlooked in this year's fantasy drafts despite being recently named as Detroit's fifth starter. Yet Matt Boyd led the minor leagues in both whip and opponent batting average among qualified starters in 2016, not to mention that he finished second in the minors in 2016 among qualified starters with a 2.25 ERA. So what the heck happened when he reached the big leagues in 2016? Consider this. Entering into a September 13th tilt with the last place Minnesota Twins, Matt Boyd had produced a 5-4 record with a 2.56 ERA since joining the Tigers' rotation in July. While apparently struggling with his delivery, Matt Boyd surrendered seven earned runs in only three and two-thirds innings, pushing his ERA of the season up from a respectable 389 to 443 that day before finishing the 2016 season with a 453 ERA. But as the late Sparky Anderson once said, good seasons start with good beginnings, which is why maybe a good season for your team begins with adding both Jacoby Jones and Matt Boyd, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April the 4th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 12 of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests for this final Tuesday Tout edition of our show, Todd Zola from MastersBall.com, ESPN, and Rotowire is a regular guest here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast, a great friend of the show, and a great friend of mine. 
I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. Our frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt. And please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go down to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday when we start our regular weekly Friday shows with feature guest expert Paul Sporer from Fangraphs. That's Paul Sporer on the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk to you Friday. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.